and I think some of the the entrepreneurs that I worked with personally that I admire the most are those who um, don't come from a design background, but they do their homework. Uh, and I think they 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 go through the due diligence of kind of working through a problem set, um, uh, and, and something that I've kind of learned uh, over the last couple of years and um i i've been joking about how i spend my spare time building spreadsheets and doing financial modeling uh there's this tremendous um uh, kind of creativity that's needed um to f- to figure out what the um what the question we need to ask Welcome to You Can Do It, Do It, a podcast with Steve Carroll and J.P. Camara, where we speak with people whose lives were transformed by trying something new. We're joined today by Tino Chow, an entrepreneur and designer based here in Providence, Rhode Island. When did you first hear the word design? So long story short, I do come from a family of creatives and uh, somewhat a family of, of architects. And that was actually what I wanted to do when I applied to RISD the Rhode Island School of Design uh, here in Providence, Rhode Island. And so were you coming from Hong Kong at the time to RISD or were you living here in the States? What was your life like? Yeah, so I was uh, right before um, RISD, I was actually in Singapore. So I was serving in the military there for two and a half years, uh, plus or minus. And then, uh, yeah, I worked there as a graphic designer at a print shop for a year before going to RISD. What were you doing in the military? Yeah, I was a mandatory service um, as a Singaporean citizen. I served um, two and a half years. Um, I went to officer cadet school, graduated, and at the tender age of 18, had uh, had 200 men uh, under my command, which was really bizarre. Um, so... Um, definitely kind of looking back and even just looking at any military, um, they're just all children. It's, uh, it's insane to think about how young, um, most soldiers are. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, weird, but I think a lot of lessons I've learned then, um, and, uh, have definitely come back to both help me and haunt me, um, and has definitely kind of shaped, uh, shaped who I am. At 18, were you an officer? I was definitely the youngest in my cohort uh, in, in that year, but um, I'm probably one of the younger ones in, uh, um, I don't know, in the last, I can't say decade anymore. At the time, it was a great confidence boost, but once again, looking back, it's like, who, who lets an 18-year-old lead anything, let alone right. other people that are also humans who have <laughs> lives mm-hmm. and uh, have to represent um, the unit and talk to parents, um, which I had to do quite a few times, which is definitely interesting. And uh, So how did that prepare you to kind of move into being a student after that? Like, what, were, what was that transition like? Interesting. That's the uh, that's the short answer. But I think, kind of looking back, I, um, it, it's definitely been a great um, great preparation. I think I've, if I was eighteen and went to college, I would probably I just had really bad habits. Um, just you know, uh, and especially kind of uh, at an art school, like we're notoriously 
hard workers, which is both good, but also time management is the <laughs> the, the opposite of uh, uh, of that kind of like, you know, hardworking and you just kind of somehow get into this weird arms race with everybody, with your peers. So everybody's right. trying to stay up as long as you can, regardless of the quality of work. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm staying up to do work. So therefore I'm putting more effort, therefore it should be better. But um, as we all know, the mm. the older we get, that is definitely not true. And I think even when you're young, you know, there's diminishing returns that you don't think are happening, but like they're you're constantly de- actually degrading the quality of what you're doing. Yeah, no, totally. I I, I think I saw this um quote on a wall, um at some point. It's like work work smarter, not harder. Mm. And it's like it's totally true. I mean, like. And this is one thing that, um, like, once again, like, the, the, the things I've learned in the military that came, came back to haunt me, or kind of help me, um, is that, uh, um, you know, you, you plan, and you plan, and you plan, and you plan, and you practice, and you practice and practice before you execute. So by the time you do actually execute, um, you know exactly kind of, um, kind of what you're doing. Um, it doesn't mean that you there, there aren't times that you have to improvise because as we all know, nothing goes planned in life. Um, but that's kind of what training is for. That's what the military kind of does really well is that you train you until everything is second nature. So when things do go wrong or things don't go as planned, you know what to do. So I, I think that that, also, that definitely um, kind of is applicable to us professionals. Like it doesn't mean that anything, everything is going to go as planned, but when things don't, like we know what to do. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a foundation, and so everything that's standard, you can just immediately deal with, and so you can also, it's better, you're better at recognizing when something is abnormal and how to, you know, that you have to deal with something new, so that's pretty cool. Have you guys watched um, Band of Brothers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So so that came out when I was in the military, and uh, there's a lot of great nuggets in there, um, and one of which is, is about training um, and, and kind of why paratroopers go through and jump um, kind of off of a platform like hundreds of times before they're allowed to um, actually put on a parachute and jump out of a plane. And so that when they land, you don't have to think about how your, where your feet should be so that you can engage with the environment, you can engage with everything else um, and be present because you have your training. Military graphic design job and then starting at RISD, had you shifted yet into thinking, oh, I might not do architecture at RISD, or were you still on that architecture plan slash track? I've wanted to be an uh, wanted to be an architect um, for the longest time, and I, I didn't really think about whether or not I wanted to do anything else, although I had a graphic design job just because that's really kind of one of the lo- one of the design fields that have the lowest barrier of entry. Um, you know, you can have Photoshop and can point your mouse and um, you could learn how to be a designer. So so that's kind of what I did. Um, but also kind of the training in, uh, that I got from a print shop was great because not everything that's designed can be that can translate into even two-dimensional kind of printed form well. So to learn a lot of those lessons then, uh, which really does help me um, kind of when I was at RISD. Um, but I think one of the things that is a common thread in uh, in my design practice and uh, how I look at design and what I learned from RISD and, and kind of just through my own experience that design is uh, 
mostly a system. So um, even thinking about how do you translate kind of what's in your head and onto paper and get it ready to print. Um, there are a lot of systems that um, you're tr- you, you have to, well, kind of there are a lot of rules that you have to play. I don't know, does that make sense? You need to know the rules to play to the play, game. Yeah, you need to know the rules. To play, play the game. There you go. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Definitely makes sense. And so one of the definitions of design, I think that, you know, you kind of put forth is design as a system. It has rules. You need mm-hmm. to know the rules in order to play the game. Yep. Um, what are some other definitions of design that have been helpful for you kind of engaging with your studies or career? Yeah. So I think the one that um, I, I would say RISD as a school does very well in teaching. And it's also something that I believe it's completely underrated um, kind of RISD because I think most of the time when you see design, you look at oh, look at this pretty thing. Look at this thing that's refined. Um, Look at this edge of this table. Isn't it beautiful? Um, But I think that the one thing that um, Rizzi does very well, that I said that's really underrated, um, is design uh, uh, as a way of problem solving. And, you know, the common kind of um, overused buzzword is design thinking. don't ask me what that means because I still don't quite know what the definition is. Um, but design as a way of problem solving um, is definitely kind of um, what Rizzi teaches really well. And I think that that's kind of one thing that I uh, that took away from uh, um, from going there um, that allowed me to do what I do today. Does that apply to solving problems that design can solve? Or do you think it also applies to just general problem solving? Uh, just for me, I guess personally, just for me to understand better. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely both. Um, and, and once again, it, it's sort of um, kind of how we define design, right? Like kind of what design is and how we can apply what you can apply design to. I think design is a, I mean, it's it's a th- method of solving problems. So you, a problem really could could exist in kind of multiple. Um, well, in very different ways. So um, it, it could be a visual problem, right? Like I've, um, and, and maybe I'm using a, a very clear example. Uh, and and I, I do fly quite a bit and I'm always frustrated. Uh, well, sometimes I'm frustrated by um, uh, the the wayfinding at, at, at airports. It's like you led me to this place and then there are no signs to tell me where to go next. Um, and that's a very practical problem um, that designers, uh, that graphic designers get to solve. And it's actually a really fun kind of a, a problem that uh, isn't just about how pretty your sign is. Um, it's, you know, the uh, strategic location of sign and also kind of understanding kind of human psychology of kind of like how do you follow patterns um and th- th- those are great um uh podcasts uh, 99% invisible that kind of uh dove into sort of different patterns um that subtly kind of uh, uh pushes um kind of people to move in a certain direction because they they're kind of subtle arrows that kind of leads you kind of from one place to another. Um, so there's a lot of kind of interesting things when uh, uh, kind of within design. And, and the, the question kind of oftentimes when you uh, want to kind of get into the, the mind of a designer or kind of um, or architect or um, uh, I don't know, kind of product designer is to ask why, kind of like what problem they are they trying to solve? Um, are they trying to get people from point to point B or are they kind of trying to keep people calm? Are they trying to, um, you know, kind of, uh, um, kind of create, um, 
kind of different distractions, and, and, and all of which are uh, kind of valid um, uh, solutions to a certain problem. So it's always interesting to kind of just walk down like um, you know a, a convenience store, right? Like you, you go to a corner shop um, versus going to like Whole Foods. It's uh, laid out completely differently, um, and also if you go into a um, kind of just say a, a mall, like um, how uh, the the flow of people is intentionally designed, um, and how it forces you to go to the ends to uh, for for the escalator, so they can walk buy more stores. I mean, all that is designed is very intentional. Um, like the Eames quote, uh, it, it's uh, kind of ranging, uh, kind of different parts uh, for a particular purpose. It's kind of like the other day I was at Michael's and we were leaving to get into the register and you have to like walk around so many layers of goods to buy and like candy and toys. If you've got kids, they're like getting hooked in as you go there. It's like, you can't just walk straight to the end to a cashier. They're just like, you'll go through this little maze of, you know, consumerism before you get there. And that's clearly very intentional. Yeah. And I bought a lot of candy. So, I mean, they did it to me. There you go. Yep. They win. They win. So, um, do you have, we've, we've talked about Eames before it will take a slight diversion from your story and, and kind of get into a couple, like a couple questions. Do you have any favorite designers right now that you're super into or follow? Uh, kind of my work nowadays, um, has more to do with designing systems, businesses, um, and also, um, kind of lately, um, with the a lot of branding work that I do, um, I've been I've been thinking about how to use uh, design the design process as a leadership tool. Like, how do we get people behind an idea? Um, and and so I think with that said, I, I've been um, kind of reading um, and following more entrepreneurs. Um, and and in some ways, I kind of. Um, you know, kind of back to the sort of definition of design, like, um, you know, they are uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, startup founders are extremely innovative. Um, so in a sense, like they have come up with a solution to a problem that exists. And a lot of them, as the company grows too, their role have to change. And there's a whole new set of problems that they face. I mean, even just um, looking at like Mark Zuckerberg, kind of like who is still leading Facebook, um, and he's not, he's our age, uh, which is phenomenal. I mean, like it's kind of crazy to think like the skill set you need in a dorm room versus the skill set you need leading even twenty people, and then a boardroom. Yeah. It's um, it, it it's phenomenal. I mean, the the set of problems that he must have to solve, and also, I mean, not 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 to say that he solved everyone kind of elegantly or kind of uh, appropriately, um, but um, I, I think that's something that I've been kind of like um, just personally kind of been drawn to kind of over the last couple of years um, as less kind of traditional designers. Um, I mean, I love kind of uh, kind of uh, Ray and Charles Eames uh, for the work that that they've done. And also for, for for the type of thinking that they brought um to the world in general, uh, but yeah, I think I'm mostly come now. Um, it has definitely been uh, kind of entrepreneurs um uh, more than traditional designers. So I didn't answer your question, but I love it. You're expanding the definition of design, like you said. Like they're solving problems and there's going to be some element of design and like psychology and the things people need and the things people are frustrated with or how to achieve something. So like design, 
I know it's, it's interesting. Like I, I'm not from a design background at all. And I've just seen lots of design people doing things in my life. And, uh, you know, definitely over the years, my understanding of what design is grows and grows and grows because it's, oh, it's easy to, like you were talking about, like with graphic design, right? Like that's kind of like the lowest barrier to entry. And like a lot of people think like, oh, graphic design or, you know, or print design or like things like that, or maybe not everybody thinks that, but, um, you know, but it infiltrates everything and, you know, following entrepreneurs there, there is a form of design there, but it's probably more raw in a way because they don't know a lot of the like more foundational elements of it. Kind of like you were talking about earlier, right? They don't have the foundation to pick out what makes the most sense. What doesn't make sense. They just are trying to solve a problem and there's design there. I might reframe what we just said. I think the, um, I think some of the, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs kind of over the last couple of years. And, uh, and I think some of the, the entrepreneurs that I worked with personally that I admire the most are those who, um, don't come from a design background, but they do their homework. Uh, and I think they, they, they go through the due diligence of kind of working through a problem set. Um, uh, and, and something that I've kind of learned, uh, over the, last couple of years. And, um, I, I've been joking about how I spend my spare time building spreadsheets and doing financial modeling. Uh, there's this tremendous, um, uh, kind of creativity that is needed, um, to, f to figure out what the, um, what the question we need to ask. Um, you know, and, and I think that's something that, uh, cause some of the, the most successful entrepreneurs that I've come across, um, are able to do that. Um, so they don't just look at something like, Oh, this might be cool and go on and do it. I think that's, um, you know, some people have struck gold and have kind of built like a businesses around it, but I think others, um, and once again, and this is really my own experience, um, uh, some of the entrepreneurs that I've worked with uh, have gone through uh, just a lot of hard work, understanding the uh, the market, kind of putting the numbers together, um, and making sure that um, you know that uh, the both the numbers work, but also this is a um, an attractive enough kind of investment because oftentimes, like before you ship a, uh, your first products, like you, you're not there to convince the uh, consumers yet. You have to convince uh, those who want to take a chance um, kind, of, uh, kind of with you and kind of investing in your company, kind of like what uh, what they care about and why they want to invest in you. Um, and kind of uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of creativity needs to go into that and, 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 and also kind of just, just work, um, uh, to go into that. And, uh, once again, like going back to sort of, uh, understanding what problem to solve and how to frame that problem, um, is, um, yeah, I think that's kind of a lot of times that's what designers do, um, in turn, uh, kind of before they like design the interface or design the logo, um, is understand all the same things that a lot of these entrepreneurs have to understand before uh, making a decision or even starting a company. So how did you get to the point where you, know, you graduated college and end up working with entrepreneurs kind of building their businesses? I know it's been like roughly a decade span to get there, but what did that look like for you? Um, yeah, 12 years ago, we started this Better World by Design as a sort of reaction to our uh, education. So, uh, and once again, like, uh, that was really the first time that I learned a lesson, um, that any good idea needs a business model behind it, um, uh, for, for it to sustain. Um, 
so we had this idea uh, of um, bringing in uh, people that we admire, heroes of ours, who are doing the type of work that we um, aspire to do. So uh, a lot of them work of uh, so, so social entrepreneurs, um, so give and take of that that definition because it's very loose um different entrepreneurs um and also kind of just people who are doing kind of really amazing work um and we had a choice like well we can fly and go meet them in person and spend all that money or we can bring them to us um and we did the latter um and we kind of build an event around it um and uh the first thing that we did and this was not by my doing um so it was actually the the, the founder who wrote a business plan uh, because it was in engineering and become entrepreneurship program at, at Brown. And I'm pretty sure he made up the entrepreneurship part. Um, but uh, it was, it was a tremendous lesson that I, I got to um, be in the front row and actually kind of experience this. It's like, um, and up until, up until that point, um, uh, kind of my design training has just told, have just taught me design the most attractive thing design for yourself because you are your, your your best kind of customer and people will come and that how untrue that is um so i've got to kind of um kind of experience this firsthand um kind of building a kind of uh, a business plan around the conference understanding how much money we need in the first place so that we go we can go out and ask people for money uh, but we can't go out and ask people for money if you don't have a good reason to ask so um kind of just by putting it all in a business plan it helped clarify what we needed to do and how we um how we should uh, kind of run uh, the conference and also tell people about it so so that was really the um the catalyst in, in, in my opinion of kind of just uh, reframing kind of what design is uh, when I was still in uh, in school, although that was sort of last semester in school, but that was so better late than never. Mm -hmm. uh, but kind of reframe kind of how I looked at design and what design can do um, kind of after school. So, so that was the uh, that was my catalyst. Um, and when um, kind of right after that, um, I got the uh, I mean, just complete just privilege to be selected as a TED fellow. Um, kind of went to the tech conference and like the big tech conference, um, got to meet people like Bill Gates and mm. Al Gore, um, <laughs> which was extremely intimidating. Um, <laughs> and also I love telling the story that I saw Bill Gates stand in line for the bathroom, oh, just man. like anybody else. Anybody else. <laughs> um, but he moved through a lot quicker cause he kept giving everybody a hundred dollar bill. No, yeah. he actually didn't. That, that was the amazing <laughs> thing. It's like, you have all the money in the world. You can't just build your own bathroom like, <laughs> with a, by just snapping your finger. Yeah, like, mm, that's um, awesome. It was it was it was fantastic to kind of see um, you know kind of uh, like um, a lot of extremely famous people there that were just very human and yeah. um, you know that they you know I, I'm sure they have an ego, but it didn't didn't show. Um, yeah. Um, and come from there, um, with that, uh, I, I met a few people and, um, and decided that, uh, I could start a business, um, uh, just as design consult, uh, consultants and, uh, start working for a few of them. And that's what I did, um, which, uh, kind of looking back might be one of the most foolish things I've done, but that was my first foray into, um, starting my own business. And also working with uh, with very um, altruistic entrepreneurs. Yeah. So starting a design consultancy was the worst idea you ever had. Uh, I, I, at I that think time, I, I think at that time yeah. it was it was 
um, both, um, you know, kind of looking back, I was like, what does this kind of few young punks uh, have to <laughs> offer the world mm. and consult and tell people what to do? Mm. Um, so it was definitely interesting. I, I think I've, in our um, essentially ignorance, um, we made all of the rookie mistakes um, that any any founder can make. So we, we started a personal account for our personal bank account for a business. Um, we, uh, yeah, we, we didn't, uh, do any bookkeeping or any accounting oh until gosh. the end of the year. Oh, no. Um, I actually had no money to pay my taxes. Oh my God, um, this sounds like the first year I freelance. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, and we brought, um, you know, it was just going to be my business partner then. And then we brought on a third partner um, who went to, uh, who has a degree in, uh, in, I think, political science. And I uh, was like, oh, great, uh, left brain person to, to, uh, to kind of balance out the right brain. Um, but we, I, we started kind of putting um, kind of more systems together um, and, and start kind of moving forward um, and, and, and build what resembles come kind of more of a legitimate business. Um, but still, um, I, I, at that time I was still looking at design. Uh, I kind of just defaulted back to looking at design as making things pretty. Um, and kind of, um, you know, we did, we did a lot of kind of design research, um, which we can also dive into, but, um, kind of, it, it, um, we did a lot of kind of research work um, from a design perspective, um, kind of wrote reports. We designed kind of digital products. Um, at the time, a lot of websites and platforms. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and kind of just worked with uh, kind of all types of different entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea where the story has gone, but that's uh, that's. Well, so you, you did that, and then what happened? <laughs> Um, yeah, because you said it was, you know, like a big mistake to do. It's the that. worst you idea you ever had. Idea, didn't oh. have any. Yes. <laughs> didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. But it sounds like it sounds like it's something. working out up to this point, though. Well, yeah. So, uh, well, up until that point, we, we we had no idea how much our work is worth uh, and our thinking mm -hmm. is worth, and sure. and we didn't quite know how to present the value of work. I, I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs and even freelancers we. Um, we have a lot of trouble doing that. I think partly it's like, you don't really want to talk about your work. You just want it to, um, you know, speak for itself. But uh, a lot of times with design, like going back to that definition, um, is that it's, it's often about intention, uh, often about why the problem needs to be solved um, as, uh, as much as how you solve the problem and what the solution is. And I think the, the downside of, um, of just being a designer, you get judged by what it looks like regardless of what problem it is and kind of the reason behind solving it. Mm -hmm. um, I think more and more, kind of a lot of work that, that I do is pretty much invisible. Like kind of 90% of the work that, that we do uh, ends up being in, invisible. Um, so at the time we, we, didn't know that that was the value that we're bringing to the table. Um, we uh, were trying to compete with uh, companies that were much bigger, uh, and we we're trying to sell something that just simply at a cheaper price. Mm. Um, and we're undercutting ourselves. We're undervaluing ourselves. Um, and on top of that is that, um, yeah, we just didn't pay ourselves a whole lot um, mm. and didn't really understand kind of how to do business development or market ourselves or do sales um and let alone um 
because she's doing the actual work. I mean, we love the work, uh, but it's always kind of chaotic. Um, it's always putting out fires. Um, we allow kind of clients to call us at two in the morning to tell us a random <laughs> idea. Okay, um, mm. that was the worst. Um, mm. And yeah, so um, like I said, it made me a lot of kind of rookie mistakes. Um, uh, and always, I always kind of think kind of we're not. Uh, um, it, I would be better served if I went and uh, kind of worked in a traditional job. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if I do, I make it comfortable sure. <laughs> and get stuck in a lifestyle and never get to do what I do uh, today. So um, it's a, there's a lot of uh, what ifs. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, everybody's, it, it's easy to look back on things and be like, oh, if I had done this, this, and this, but then you, like you said, you wouldn't be where you are today if you had done those things. And if you had gotten a regular job, unless you were working with people who you learned about entrepreneurship and how to model a business, then yeah, you might've just been like, oh, I got better at just general design but i don't know how to run a business i don't know how to consult with people yeah and uh i definitely you know i when i used to freelance i struggled with the problem of like how do i value myself like you do want to be able to just be like look at my thing now pay me money right you just want to pay me money and they're like i'll pay you what you like convince me it's worth paying you you know it's not just like i I, you know everybody has their own self-interest and that's there's nothing wrong with that so how did you how did you evolve that? Like, how did you learn to, to value yourself and value your work? It, it, it's so, it's so, uh, um, a journey of discovery kind of for, for me. And, and, uh, even the past year, um, as, uh, as my company kind of prepared for, for a pivot, um, kind of mostly, um, because we, va- we undervalued, um, ourselves, um, and, overvalued a, an opportunity um so um, long story short that we we identified a problem that everybody agrees that is a problem we then come up came up with a solution and everybody thought that was a great solution um but nobody was willing to pay for it um and we kind of uh we, we bet pretty big um kind of this year on it and and it completely backfired like uh, we, we just completely misunderstood the market um uh and once again kind of just understanding so the intentions behind why people make decisions is so so important and i think we we just got so focused uh, and, and sometimes it's just because we're problem solvers we just look at the problem we forgot the the person kind of behind it so we just right. like this is the problem this is a solution if we find a solution for this problem people must love it um, right. which doesn't mean yeah it doesn't mean that there's a business model behind it are you able to share what it is, or is that still private? Um, well, I, w- yeah, I can. Um, I mean, this is still uh, something that we do, and I, I don't think it, it is going to go away. It's just not going to be our kind of flagship um, kind of service. Um, so it's what we call a minimal viable brand. Um, so it's still going to be a methodology that we're going to use. But the idea is that a lot of uh, kind of startups um, are, are so focused on building the product. Um, and we can help them kind of meet their customers kind of where they are um, and build a brand and story around it so that um, they can better get connected and therefore be able to scale kind of faster. Um, but unfortunately, you know, like like I said before, I think as exciting as it is to work with startups, uh, most startups don't have the resources. Um, and when it comes down to branding um, uh, and, and kind of storytelling, it's one of those things that uh, at an early stage, you probably just 
kind of hack it together. You can uh, use whatever means to kind of get you get the word out, mm-hmm. um, and that may not be the um, the primary focus of of most businesses. Mm-hmm. And also, kind of as a, at an early stage, most uh, venture capitalists um, and most founders are so focused on the company and the core team, um, they don't really put um kind of spend money on outside vendors and mm. we are an outside vendor so right. uh we got a few clients um we, we got a got a handful of clients uh and it was tremendously fun uh to work uh to work with and uh um but uh yeah it, it, it was just not enough yeah. so so it's a pivot now, like minimum viable rebrand. It, well, actually, um, yeah, never. I actually didn't think about that. Think about it that way, but yeah, that that's basically what what we're going after. Yeah, um, it, it's a uh, kind of uh, mostly. Uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of traction with uh, companies that are going through change, and um, uh, we're speaking with companies specifically that are um that are being acquired um or or kind of are going through mergers um because those, those are a little more public um uh so we get to um kind of actually talk a lot more about strategy and how to use brand as a tool to kind of um further the bottom line or solve a critical problem or identify uh the vision or how do we um kind of use brand and storytelling to get them closer to the vision mm-hmm. um so which is uh i mean it's still a lot of the same work um mm-hmm. and maybe in, in some ways like we're, we're not we, we don't have the opportunity to move the needle as much as a startup, but the impact is definitely much greater uh, than most than a lot of the startups that we work with. Mm-hmm. So. so it's kind of a, a similar approach, but just working with companies at a different phase. So yeah, I mean, it's actually exactly the same approach. Um, so uh, yeah, once again, like a, we, we we look at design as, as a as a way of problem solving, and because um, the way that that um, kind of worked is always kind of design kind of systems, um, mm-hmm. basically designing a system to solve a larger problem. So mm-hmm. um, we have uh, kind of the system kind of in. Uh, well, the system itself has multiple kind of steps, and uh, each step have different tools that we use. And sometimes we we select different tools for different clients um, based on the need and based on kind of the uh, the ultimate outcome. So um, we basically have this giant toolbox, and we kind of ask the client, kind of like, you know, you want to build a chair or a house, and then we'll just kind of um, make sure that uh, we're solving the right problem. Right. What if they want to build a chair that you can live in? <laughs> Um, a chair house. A chair house. A chair house. <laughs> we can do that. We have a tool for that. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll first awesome. question, question the sanity and the intention. But, <laughs> um, yeah. Right. It'll be a fun project, though. Now, what brought you back to Providence? Oh, a girl. Oh. There you go. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So you Boom, had been, you'd been starting businesses, working with entrepreneurs all over the country, mostly mm-hmm. in New York, right? Is it? Yeah. New York and San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually stayed after um, after RISD. The and and once again, it's all it's all because of Better World by Design. Because yeah. um, through that experience, I, I made a lot of friends outside of school, and it made it very easy for me to stay. Um, and also, you know, it's cheap and it's convenient, and I can still travel to clients wherever they are. So, um, yeah, I, I stayed in. Rhode Island for I think three or four years before I went down to New York and worked with my uh, my mentor um, 
and um yeah and he's now my business partner so oh man oh, yeah. awesome at uh at giant shoulders yeah giant shoulders what surprised you about doing it yeah even with all the experience that 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 i've had um yeah it doesn't guarantee success um i think that's a, that's the one thing that was just um yeah it was a, it was a bit of a painful lesson to learn i i think i've i i, I realize um com- even clearer where some of the uh my shortfalls are uh, both personally and also kind of with the company um and uh uh and that's kind of why um i, I kind of brought on um uh, kind of my mentor as a business partner um, and also kind of continue looking for kind of other people to join the business because um, yeah, I just don't, I, I'm not good at a lot of stuff. So, um, and even kind of building systems um, and kind of putting the pieces together. Um, you just, you need to have pieces to mm-hmm. put together. Um, so <laughs> either you go out and gain that knowledge and, and, and know-how or, uh, and, and become a generalist or, um, you know, you specialize in kind of, uh, in being the best version of kind of what you do and bring on uh, experts to, um, to fill in those gaps. Um, so the, my first business with big new ideas, it was definitely kind of like, we're all generalists. We are all going out and kind of, um, looking for the answer and kind of trying to become, um, kind of fake experts essentially, and then trying to fake it until we make it. Um, and I think this time around, it was, it was much more about kind of like finding uh, and building a group of experts um, that we can lean on one another. Um, and actually, we we are sort of stronger uh, kind of together. So, um, yeah. But finding clients is still difficult. So that's the yeah. Yeah. that's the common thread. That's that still surprised me. Um, I mean, it's so surprising, unsurprising, but um, that's always something that that I, I am not the greatest at, but, um, yeah, still something that, um, yeah, that surprised me. It sounds like you have a lot of good relationships though, with like people you've worked with in the past and, you know, currently are working with and by doing these conferences and stuff, I'm sure a lot of clients come through that. Yeah. A little bit of both. Um, I think that's something that, um, as a designer, as, as we kind of broaden our kind of, um, um, kind of definition of de- of design and designers. I think that's something that doesn't or it works against us um, as a firm because we do believe that our skill set um, can solve any problem and that we want to solve problems for a lot of different people, but it makes for terrible marketing. Um, so I think it's one of those things that we, I've resisted uh, for a long time and, and kind of, um, uh, and there's something that we're trying to um, kind of get a lot more focused on for next year is um, kind of be much more specific uh, kind of with the people that we're talking to and actually kind of concentrate our energy um, to a smaller group of people um, kind of rather than trying to cast a wide net. Um, yeah, so that, that's definitely kind of one of, one of the more difficult things kind of for us um, because, you know, we have worked in kind of healthcare, we've worked in kind of fintech, we've worked in manufacturing, um, you know, kind of uh, product brands. Like we have wide uh, kind of experience, uh, but sometimes it's, it's a little, uh, you know, people don't want to buy generalists uh, or kind of don't want to pay for generalists. They want to pay for specialists. And uh, um, we just have learned that, um, you know, especially this past year too, like how we had to paint ourselves that way. 
Is there a particular industry or problem set you're most uh, excited about if you're going to niche down on something? Yeah. So, uh, and and once again, we, we don't quite yet know if this is niche enough, um, but um, I think I mentioned it uh, kind of a little bit uh, around Cambodian acquisitions. Um, and the reason why I'm, I'm so passionate about it uh, is how is because the potential of using design as a leadership tool. Um, so as most companies um, kind of merge or are being acquired, you're coming together with two brands, two groups of people with two different set of ideals, two set of pro- um, histories, process, um, and kind of just know-how. And uh, uh, without actually clarifying um, kind of who you are, kind of why you exist, and what our goals are, and what um, our processes uh, will be, uh, or even kind of just opening up, uh, creating space for that kind of discussion. Um, you, you see a lot of companies, um, a lot of conversion acquisition ends with the company that's being acquired, um, kind of uh, their talent just kind of um, just just leaves um got over you know like of a year or two and i've gone through a merger acquisition myself and um i played a role um in 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 kind of protecting um the way that we work um kind of for my team because uh it was just so dysfunctional like we couldn't get work done but um i also kind of just looking back at it as like kind of, by doing that i am you know, creating uh, kind of wall of division uh, as much as I was the translator because um, just by playing that role, it took up all my time um, and I can't afford the rest of my team to to translate as well because then nobody's going to get work done. So it's definitely an interesting kind of problem uh, to solve and it's a very human problem to solve. And I think that's the, that's the part that I, that I love most um, that ultimately kind of design is for people, um, you know, that at the end of the day, it's, it has to help or benefit someone, um, which is sort of the the fun part of it. Um, so come now, come reframing sort of uh, um, kind of branding within a merger and acquisition as a leadership tool. Like we are now kind of designing a better transition, um, kind of for uh, for the two companies and also kind of like to come together uh, under a common flag or common goal, um, so that we can move forward together. Um, because merger and acquisition costs money, and uh, people leaving also costs money, um, so that's something that uh, kind of on a practical side. That's that's a that's a type of problem that that we have actually um, had the experience uh, of kind of solving, and, and we love solving that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, kind of like you know, we get to kind of look people in the eye when not they're that the leaders of the company, the management, or um, you know, the foot soldiers like they. Uh, you know, once they get it, uh, they get it, which is, which is fun. Every now and again on Instagram, mm-hmm. I've scrolled through and I see this phrase failure by design. Um, and so I'm looking at it, like wondering, I think what most people are wondering, like failure by design, like this guy used to run a great conference called better world by design. And now, <laughs> now we're talking about designing failure. Like what gives what's going on? we all fail that's the uh that's the the backstory um uh but we don't we often don't talk about it um enough um and what do i mean by that is not is not to kind of gain other people's pity but um sometimes to 
just spend the time and sit in that failure and actually um, pull out the lessons um, that that we should all learn from it. Um, and, and you know, we have all these quotes about you know success is uh, built on the backs of failure. Actually, I don't think that's a quote, but I just made that one up. Sure. So, uh, I mean, we'll Failed use quote. that in our Instagram feed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, or you know, God, that that we all we all know that you know to to be successful, we have to you know have that you know, we have to fail and we have to learn from those failures. And I think um, uh, just worked in Silicon Valley, like that's a badge of honor. Um, but it, it also became a game to just get those badges of honor and not really learning from them, which is kind of ironic um and uh you know kind of having worked in new york i think the the fast pace um doesn't allow um kind of us to actually reflect kind of long enough on, on kind of why we fail and what do we need to to do and change um you know so that uh a it doesn't happen again or, or that particular failure doesn't happen again or kind of how can we better prepare ourselves um so so that was some, something that has been bouncing in my head and kind of for a while um and uh, oftentimes, like, we talk about failure or these stories uh, at a bar with friends um, mm-hmm. over a beer. And, and it, it's, it's sometimes fun and sometimes depressing. But uh, <laughs> um, but oftentimes, like, there's something to learn. Um, I think mm-hmm. when, when I started kind of um, uh, giant shoulders, I think one thing that I missed was just having a larger team that we can talk about uh, kind of stuff like that. Um, and, and we do... Um, debriefs after projects um and very intentionally we, we always kind of carve out in kind of an hour and a half, hour and a half after a, a project and, and just kind of um just have that time to talk about what went well what went uh what didn't go well uh and what are lessons that we can learn um and kind of even now as we are onboarding a new um, project manager, like that's something that we ask ourselves uh, every week. Like, uh, you know, how can how could we have done uh, certain things better? Like, we have kind of experienced these things um, kind of over and over again. Kind of what uh, you know, kind of once again, kind of wearing our designer's hat. Uh, like that, that there's a problem. Like, kind of what is the solution? What is the intention behind the client? Was in, was our intention, and what was the miscommunication or the the failure? Um, and, uh, that was something that, um, kind of, uh, as we kind of do this internally, um, and having worked with a lot of different freelancers at giant shoulders and, um, you know, just to go on a quick tangent, uh, so that this makes a little more sense is that giant shoulders is essentially a agency back office that's built on top of freelance pool. Um, so the idea is that um, freelance is uh, is the future of work. Um, a lot of the top talent that I've admired and wanted to work for a long time do not want to be hired the traditional way, and I've tried. Um, so they um, want to stay free, uh, as freelancers, but they spend a lot of time um, end up kind of doing um, – bookkeeping, um, doing kind of a uh, uh, kind of project management, uh, client management, um, kind of looking for new business and so on and so forth. Um, and so this is uh, kind of just based on a lot of conversations that I have, not official research, but anywhere from like kind of 30 to 50% of the time, like in any 
given month, um, doing all the stuff that they don't love so that they can do what they love and that pain is is, is worthwhile. Um, so Giant Shoulders is basically built around that. Um, and on top of that, um, um, the problem that we're trying to solve is that to bring a group of people together um, and kind of lower that pain for them and also create an opportunity for them to collaborate. Um, and one of the things kind of uh, cuts through the process of kind of starting Giant Shoulders um, is that not all freelancers are built the same. Um, they, we have kind of freelancers that we worked with and we just didn't love working with them. Um, and kind of after a few, uh, we, we kind of realized kind of why is that um, we loved working with entrepreneurs um, and freelancers um, who sees themselves as entrepreneurs are the types of entrepreneurs uh, or types of freelancers who we want to work with. So they're not just the people who wants, wants to be told what solution uh, we're looking for so that they can go and design it or code it or uh, write copy for it. Um, but they ask questions and they push me and push the rest of the team to uh, to think, uh, to consider, um, to ask better questions. And I think that was a, that was a point where we realized, okay, so this is the group of people that we want to work with. And we want to meet more people like that. Um, we want to build a community around that idea. Um, and long story short is that kind of for, uh, entrepreneurs, um, uh, that for the entrepreneurs that we want to work with, um, most people are very self-aware in terms of what they're doing well and what they're not. And when we do these reflections um, at the end of a a project, um, you know, they have a lot to say. Uh, and I and I really enjoyed those conversations. And essentially, we want to take that experience um, uh, and kind of make it into an event. Um, and ultimately the people that we, uh, that we want to attract are also the people that we do want to collaborate with, um, that we want to, um, work with people who are comfortable with the idea of failure, um, uh, that people, um, that know that not everything that they make are going to be a smashing success, um, that, you know, they, they are going to make mistakes and it's fine, um, uh, uh, from time to time and, you know, and, um, you know, learning from them is important. And that became the, uh, the seed of failure by design. That's rad. Yeah. I mean, I, I've only been to one of them, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I know I didn't actually get to talk to you really about it afterwards, but I don't know. It was actually helpful for me with some stuff. I won't go into it, but some stuff we were dealing with at work and cause it was about like teamwork and, and hiring and those kind of things. Um, so yeah, I found those stories super valuable and the people are pretty honest about like what they failed about and what they, you know, what they screwed up, what they learned from yeah. it and, and how they dealt with it. So, yeah. And all, all that were, um, extremely intentional. I think it's something that, um, I think culturally we're, we're just so, uh, well, I mean, culturally, we don't really know how to deal with failure. Um, we tend to sweep it under the rug. Um, and so it was very important for us uh, as we designed the event um, for the speakers uh, to exhibit um, vulnerability. Um, and, um, you know, before all, uh, any of these uh, kind of events, um, the speakers actually... Uh, the speakers and I uh, and whoever else is hosting, uh, we, we go get a beer um, 
uh, kind of a couple of days before. We talk about those stories, talk about each other's lives, and actually get to know one another a little bit. So, um, and, and know kind of like how far we can push certain things, and and, and we do. We, we we ask tough questions, and uh, uh, and we open it up to the audience and have the audience kind of like ask questions that um, they care about. Um, so it it it's um, it's definitely intentional that um, you know that honesty needed to be there it's not a uh it's not meant to be a button up kind of presentation of like these are the three failures that led to my success and right. this is <laughs> how i succeed so so can you so <laughs> um as really not about that I, th- I think that's that um that authenticity is, is very is it, I'd say calibrated is uh, is probably the word I'll use. Like we wanted that, um, and and the people that we um, that we asked to come speak, um, yeah, we we kind of um, I won't say we heavily vetted them. I mean, they're, they're definitely friends, so I know kind of them well enough that um, I could ask honest questions, and they kind of um, in turn kind of invited other people that they knew that they can ask honest questions, and um, and and that's a that 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 is one of the most important things about that event. Are you going to continue doing them? Yeah, um, yeah, I will once, uh, once I, once uh, I have my kid. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're thinking um, uh, in the spring um, we're going to actually plan this ahead of time, <laughs> um, rather than um, yeah, you know, we, we did four and and we knew that it's going to be an experiment. So uh, so we planned one at a time, um, and the first few. The first two didn't have a theme, and the last one was the one uh, that had a very clear theme, uh, and that was that. That is really the direction that that we're heading down. Uh, but we, it was just uh, very much an experiment, and and we kind of want to learn from our failures as you know as failure failure by design. So um, yeah, we we learned quite a few things, um, and uh, yeah, just uh, wanted to continue the conversation, and also one of the things that we definitely want to encourage in the next series is that we want to have more uh, a, a, a mix of creatives and and what kind of traditional creatives and non-traditional creatives uh, uh kind of um, kind of just on stage uh talking about kind of creative creativity innovation and failure um because you know it, it's a risk risk resides in a shadow of reward and and that's kind of very much kind of what um, giant shoulders live by, and, I, and and also a lot of entrepreneurs that I that I admire kind of lives by, and um, you know, with uh, with risks uh, it comes failure. So uh, let's talk about failure. And was it uh, was it DJ Johnson? Is that his name at the previous yeah. one? Where you mentioned like failure is a necessary precursor to success or something? Yeah. Like that, so yeah, and I think he also kind of said something around. Um, Failure is a condiment that gives success um, its flavor, yes. uh, which is great. So, so one final question for you: How has design made you better? I think design is part of my, a very big part of my identity, um, and being able to solve problems uh, is the manifestation of that identity. So, I think in some ways, I I don't really know how how to separate that from myself. So, in terms of how design makes me better, it's like well, um, that that in some ways is all I know. So you're a designer. Yeah, you're well, a problem. Design doesn't change his life. Design is so <laughs> interwoven into your life that design is your life. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a part of you. I so. think that's a that's a t-shirt idea right there. Yeah, design is your life. Love it. 
Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to You Can Do It, Do It. If you want to learn more about Tino Chow, you can visit our website at youcandoitdoit.com. We've got links to Giant Shoulders and Failure by Design and a few other things that he's done over the years. We're, uh, we're really looking forward to see what he has coming up in the future as well. Thanks again to Night Swim for the use of their song Fiji as the theme song for the show. You can find it on iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, wherever great music is sold or subscribed. And lastly, if you like the show, feel free to drop us a review on iTunes. We definitely appreciate it, and it helps people find the show and get into it. So thanks again. We'll see you soon. Bye.